Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Season 3 of Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams, and with me is Jenny Dillon. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks, Jen. Good. Hey, we're both horticulturists and gardeners, and in every episode, we'll be dishing the dirt on all things gardening, guiding you through the season, and taking a look at what's hot and what's not. But most importantly, how you can keep things thriving in your own little patch of paradise. Okay, Adam, so what are we talking about today? We are going to have a look at the spring veggies for planting now so you get some summer harvest because, of course, you know, naturally everybody's winter veggie garden's looking a bit sad. So we'll look at what you can replace it with. One of my favourite topics, we're going to look at all the details of everything you need to know about mulch. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have a chat with a bloke called Graham Sait from Nutritech Solutions, which is a company that specialises in all sorts of things to do with plant and soil health and the impacts on uh, human health nutrition too. And don't forget we've got Milton Black coming on and he's going to talk about gardening by the moon. So without further ado, Jen, let's jump into the veggie patch. Well, it's looking a bit sad, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's, amazing. it's funny, there are some things that can continue on a little bit if you're really, really nice to them and you try and stretch them out to their max. I mean, have you ever seen somebody that's decided that they're going to keep their kale going for a really long time? They end up with one of those walking sticks with a few leaves on top, and it's, oh. <laughs> it's like a Dr. Zeus plant. <laughs> no, I think it's time to, to clear out, get rid of everything in, in, in your winter garden now, crop them. If they're still going, turn them into soup or freeze them, but just it's time to replenish the soil, get things ready. Well, that's it. And a lot of the veggies that we eat, you are wanting that fresh young growth anyway. You don't want that old woody stuff that's there. It's going to be low in, in nutritional content mm-hmm. and the growth slows down. And so all of that stuff that comes out, of course, one of the things that um, I see is very important. It's not waste. Don't think about it as waste. No, you- no. Well, as I said, you can freeze it or turn it into soup. But Put it in your compost. That's it. That's exactly right. Or if you've got a worm farm, a lot of it you can easily just um, use a very big kitchen knife and a lot of it you can actually cut up into fine enough bits to process through your worm farm. So uh-huh. you can put most of this stuff to uh, to very good use. So do not waste it. But the things that are finishing up now that you'd be, you'd be looking at pulling out – it's mainly going to be the brassica family, isn't mm. it? It's all of those classic winter crops. So yeah. we're talking Brussels sprouts, the cabbages, um, broccoli, mm-hmm. uh, but also English spinach is in there. That's the true spinach that mm-hmm. only grows across the cooler seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one that you can actually leave in, I've had quite good success with, is the silver beets and the rainbow, the rainbow beets as well, because I've found that they will survive for two, sometimes even three years. 
the key with them is as soon as they start going to seed, then that's when they've that's when they've done their dash. So you, you, depending on how healthy and how vigorous your silver beet or your rainbow beet's looking, you can leave that in if you want to. No, I'd put it on the compost. I would never eat yeah, that you, anyway. You pull them out. Yeah. yeah. If you if you keep stripping off those outside, no, leaves. it's just a personal thing. <laughs> oh, it's I just, a personal thing. <laughs> I hate silver beet. I hate it so much. Well, I think the problem is a lot of people think that silver beet is spinach. It's been I know, spent I know salt the difference. Than the spinach, yeah. I know the difference. I was fed silver beet all through my childhood because I was iron deficient and my mother said, you have to have it. Oh, my God, it's disgusting. <laughs> well, it's the, the true spinach, which is that English spinach, has it's that lovely. beautiful buttery taste. Yeah. It's really just mm. a, a lovely mm. um, leafy vegetable, I guess is the best way to describe it. So, mm. But, uh, yes, yeah, so don't waste all that stuff. You can, you can put a lot of it to good use. What sort of things do you reckon we're planting now, Jen? Tomatoes. Tomatoes. That's the big one, isn't it? When, mm. I, when I used to work in a, in a garden centre, people would come in every week saying, oh, you've got tomatoes yet, you've got tomatoes yet, you've got tomatoes yet, yeah. <laughs> because it's the big one people wait for every year. Yeah, yeah, and, and you plant them right and you just, you know, you're just cropping it all through summer. It's just it, fantastic. It is hard to go wrong with them. And the, the rule of thumb that is generally applied with tomatoes is once the fear of frost has passed. Mm-hmm. So if you're in an area that does get frost, they will not tolerate frost. And that's pretty much the same for all the rest of those things in the uh, family Solanaceae, which is includes the capsicums and the chilies and um, eggplants and all of those sort of things. They don't they don't like that frosty weather. So you need to wait until you pass that worry of frost. What you can do though to get a jump on it is you can plant some seeds into um, seedling trays, yep, yep. or you can buy a punnet of seedlings and pot them up into smaller pots, mm. and you can grow them on in a sheltered position until it's well and truly warm enough for them to go out. But they're definitely worth planting in. And I reckon the best trick too is you plant a few different varieties and plant them a couple of weeks apart so you'll extend your harvest with yeah. tomatoes because that's the big thing, isn't it? You often get Well, that's the thing also with, 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 with your summer vegetables is that you've got, I mean, especially with lettuce, you should remember that um, plant them regularly throughout the season so that they're always fresh. Yeah, it's uh, rather than getting succession planting. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. But then the the classic to do that with too, of course, is uh, things like carrots, Mm because otherwise you tend to end up with enormous amounts of carrots coming on at once. Although you can freeze them, and that's fine. But you can't freeze lettuce. Lettuce has to be fresh. No, so and that's a a good one too, because you are planting lettuce at the moment, but you need to make sure it's a warm season lettuce, because there are different varieties of lettuce. So so make sure you're selecting one that is for the warm season. But other stuff you're planting now, you'd be looking at beans, carrots, as I mentioned, beans, bean salad. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, aren't they? And um, chilies. Eggplants, chilies. Chilies are one of my faves. And I'm you know what? You can fan. put your chilies in your, in your garden, in your ornamental garden as mm, well. Mm, they look mm. fabulous. Yeah, and, and don't let your children um, play dress ups and use them as lipstick. No. 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 No, I'm not going to tell that story. <laughs> You've been there, haven't you? <laughs> A lack of adult supervision in the veggie garden, yes. <laughs> Now, of course, you don't want to just go sticking plants into the soil and and hope they're going to succeed where other stuff's been growing beforehand vigorously just a a month before. We need to do some soil improvement, don't we, Jen? We do. And it's really important that all the nutrients have been taken out by those lovely winter veggies. But one of the things to remember is that it's the soil that gives your vegetables flavour. And if your soil is right, your veggies taste so much better. And 
you know, eating's all about taste and flavour, so put some work in. Well, an, an interesting thing, funnily enough, which I was I, I was taught by Graham Sait when I went and, and talked to him a long time ago, um, he said to me that flavour is nutrition. So, you know, when you eat a vegetable or a fruit and it's really rich in flavoursome, mm. that is because it actually has a higher nutritional content. Mm. So basically that stuff that's grown well, that has been grown in quality soil, that's very healthy, that's organically active, and that gives you that quality flavour-filled fruit and veggies, that's because of the fact that that nutritional content of the your harvest is actually higher. So, mm. yeah, it's the dead giveaway of the, the quality of, of homegrown, homegrown produce when it's, when it's grown properly. Um, now, of course, there's another area too, which is all about crop rotation. And I think I'm going to kind of put a pin in that because I think we might talk about that as a bigger picture topic in another episode okay. because making sure you don't plant the same things back in the same places a couple of seasons in a row is very important mm. and I think we'll we'll make that a whole topic sometime in the future so stay tuned folks as Absolutely. they say, say in the classics yes um, but yes you're right the soil gets very depleted after those veggies because they are seeds, they are annual plants they suck a lot out of the soil so we want to get some quality compost and some quality manures in there mm-hmm. but you need to make sure you're using the right sort of product for the crops that you're planting some things don't like a lot of nutrients or they, they like to make sure that they're very finely blended through the soil. You know, carrots, you see those those internet memes of carrots with two legs and other oh, appendages yes, yes, and yes, things. Yes, you know. yeah. Do you know what it is that's actually caused that? No. It's where the carrot has grown to try and avoid lumps of, say, manure or compost in the soil um, because they don't like the high rich organic nutrient value, so they'll actually try and grow Aren't away they from clever it. clever little buggers? <laughs> they know what they like and what they don't <laughs> like, and they, they try and get away from it. Yeah. And that's where you end up with those those weird-looking carrots. Yeah. yeah. So, um, for instance, as I said, carrots, make sure you blend everything through really well and you don't overdo it. Yeah, and blending also allows the fact that you um, enables you to aerate the soil at the same mm. time. You need lots and lots of air so that the water can get through and everything else. Yeah, well, that's exactly right because if the air can move through, the water can move through. That means you're maximising the use of your water across those, particularly the warmer summer months, much more important. Um, Do use a quality fertiliser as well. I'm a fan of the the controlled release in this situation and, you know, the old traditional things such as blood and bone are are also Mm -hmm. very useful. But I'm really big on mulch, which is to make sure you you lay down a good layer of uh, organic mulch. And I love things like lucerne or pea straw Mm -hmm. on veggie gardens, primarily because they're a rapid breakdown. So they add lots of organic matter to the soil, which Mm. things like worms love. But they also add a lot of nitrogen to the soil, and nitrogen is the main contributor to strong quality leaf. leaf growth. So, yeah, your best one to be laying down once you've you've laid your veggies is to put down that uh, lucerne. And it doesn't look beautiful when you've just laid out a new garden bed. It's got these beautiful little seedlings in it, and it's lovely and mulched with lucerne. And, and it's but you know sometimes you've got to be careful with with a lot of these organic mulches. I've had in the past where I've just sort of bought things cheap, and they're full of weeds. Well, weed seeds. Yeah, yeah. And so you've got to make sure that these little things that crop up that you don't want. Yeah, make sure make sure it's coming from a quality supplier. So that's basically that's basically it. Get your veggie patch turned over. And if you want a tip on the best veggies to be planting now, 
you should find that the veggies that are on the rack in your local garden centre are the ones that are appropriate for planting now in your area. And if you're going to plant from seed, make sure you read the back of the pack. Or if you're buying online from someone like Diggers getting into the old heirloom seeds, mm-hmm. have a look at the – they have very good calendars that tell you exactly what you yeah, can plant when. Yeah, it's a great website. So get out in the veggie garden. Yes, Mulch has got to be one of the best things in the garden, doesn't it, Jenny? People just don't understand how good it is and how important it is and how great it can look. It, it, but that, that's the thing. I think a lot of people see it purely as a decorative thing. And I've said many times it's a single, simplest, sustainable step you can take in the garden. Mm-hmm. You can tell I've said it many times because I say that without it turning into a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me. (laughs) But it is the – I mean, the benefits of mulch are just absolutely enormous. Saves water. That's the basic straight up one. Um, But it also reduces runoff. So it's not just saving water as in you're putting less water on, but Mm. the water you're putting on is more likely to actually end up in the the soil soil. rather Mm -hmm. than ending up running down the gutter. Mm -hmm. It very importantly, particularly with our our fragile soils uh, here in Australia, it reduces erosion of the soil through wind and water Mm -hmm. because you're protecting the soil and you're stopping it from being blown or washed away. Coming up to summer or um, equally heading into winter, it helps to insulate the soil from massive changes in temperature. So it helps uh, the roots to be able to exist in a more stable zone. But not just the roots, all of those little critters that live in your soil, all the that beneficial bacteria and all the nice blanket for them. Exactly, exactly. Um, then on top of that, of course, it reduces weed growth because the, the weeds are, are cut off from the soil and the weeds that do pop up tend to be a lot easier to remove because yes. they're just rooting into the Into the, the mulch, mulch itself, yeah. yeah. Um, and as it breaks down, it is actually improving your soil because yeah. it's breaking down and it's c- contributing to adding organic matter to your soil. So and, that, and that helps in reducing soil compaction as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's You look at, you look at soil that's... Uh, underneath a mulched area and it will actually be lighter and fluffier. And mm. I, when I've worked on gardens, when we've moved into a new home and I, I tend to break the garden up into areas so I don't get overwhelmed by the whole thing. But it's our last place, for example, I cleared out the entire front, which was quite a, which was quite a large area. And I knew there was a lot of it. I wasn't going to be planting for 12 months or more. I hadn't even thought up designs for what I was going to do, but I did still mulch it. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that was the soil was terribly sandy and depleted and it was basically you didn't want to be planting into it. After 12 months with that mulch sitting on there and me doing nothing whatsoever beyond having mulched it and it it was catching the rain that that fell from the sky, um, pulled the mulch back, the soil was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So it's a self-improving process without you actually having to have much input into it. Yeah, and it's also um, a good little thing if you've got a problem with your soil, if you're living in an area with lots of native trees like gums and and the leaves from the gums when they fall down, they can create leave a resin on top of the soil making it Mm. hydrophobic. Mm. So, And quite often people have no idea that their soil is, is hydrophobic, that the water's just running off. And one of the good tests for that is, is to mulch it, then water. And if you lift the mulch up and feel the soil, you'll know whether the water's getting through or not. 
Mm. And if the water's not getting through, then you have to take action. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, and there's there's two main types of mulch, and this is where it can get a wee bit confusing. There's organic mulches, and by that I'm not talking about organically certified coming from free range trees or something. Um, I'm talking organic as in it's based on organic matter. Mm -hmm. So it it comes from plant matter of one sort or another. And then there's the inorganic mulches, which are things like pebbles and gravel and stuff like that, which can serve a purpose if you've got a, a functional area. But it's worth remembering that you will get the benefits of a bit of insulation and protection of soil from those inorganic mulches, but you're obviously not going to get the benefits quite as much of of helping with water retention no. and improving the quality of the soil, so it's. But you've it, got a great decorative effect, you know. I mean, you can you, you can even get glass, polished glass, mm. so you can get different colours that put around your pot plants or garden. Mm, yeah, you can, and in fact, I I even um, mulch top of almost all of our pot plants. Uh, because it helps, you know, pots are one of the worst things for drying out and mm. one of the best ways to keep them with some a good level of moisture in there is to mulch the top of them. Now, one of the big things is laying down weed mats. Now, I find this a very contentious sort of issue because yeah. the problem is, and by weed mat, the mistake that people make is they lay down black plastic. Yeah. And black builder's plastic is not a weed mat. You're it's basically not, suffocating. Horrible. <laughs> suffocating. All those soil. poor creatures. You have to use something that is is designed specifically as for use as a weed mat. Mm. And and they basically are permeable. So they allow air and water to, to move through. The issue I've found with those weed mats, as practical as they may be at times, is that you end up with an artificial layer of soil building up on top of the weed mat. It's mm. not making it through. Yeah. So you're losing some of those benefits. On saying that, though, if you're laying a pebble or a gravel mulch, one of those inorganic mulches, you need to lay down a weed mat. Otherwise, those pebbles and, and uh, gravel will migrate into the soil. They'll make their way through. So you need to put a layer down to stop them moving down into the soil. Yeah. You know what? Even with the weed mat, you'll still get weeds. They're yes. not 100%. No, no. And, but but as, as we said, they're easier to pull out. Mm. It's interesting. When I've uh, laid mulch for gardens for, for customers in the past and who have never had mulch down before and you've, you've converted them to it, they complain afterwards saying, oh, I've got so many weeds popping up. And part of the reason for that is, in fact, that what's happened is that a lot of seeds can lay dormant in the soil for a very long mm-hmm. time. And if the right conditions don't exist, they just lay there like little time capsules waiting for the right conditions to, to pop up. And suddenly you mulch the soil and you've given them the right conditions where the temperature's stable, there's good moisture, and, and suddenly these weeds pop up. So it actually, odd as it may sound, it's not unusual to get a crop of weeds a month or so after you've mulched a garden area for the first because time. Because you've improved their environment. Because you've improved their environment. But most of them will be pretty easy to, to remove. Absolutely. You just grab yeah. them by the mm. neck and pull them out as one should do. Let me tell you, I know a bloke who knows so much about soil, it's not funny. Graham Sake from Nutritech Solutions. And I caught up with him recently on his farm up in the hinterland of Queensland's Sunshine Coast. Well, I am sitting here in the beautiful hills behind you, Monday, in the Sunshine Coast in Queensland with Graham Sate from Nutritech Solutions. Now, Graham has forgotten more about soil and plant health than most people will ever learn in a lifetime. Graham, welcome. Hi, hi, Adam. I'm great, mate. Hey, look, tell me a little bit about your approach to soil and plant health, because I've, I've been to some of your seminars and I've found it absolutely fascinating. 
Well, the whole concept is a focus upon the, the nutrition of the food that we're producing. So, you know, I consider food producers to be the single most important of all professions. Um, they basically determine our health. And there's multiple published studies now demonstrating that the nutrition in our food has dropped considerably. And since 1950, you can see things like 55% reduction in iron and 49% reduction in calcium. And so our food's kind of a shadow of what it, what it used to be. And basically our food comes from soils that are a shadow of what they used to be. We mined our soils for, for 10 decades. We took off a little bit of everything, 74 minerals was in that first cell and was in the, our soils originally. And we put, took off 74 with every crop, put back three NP and K. And consequently mined our soils and have created this scenario that's not just about a lack of minerals, it's also about the relationship between minerals because too much of one mineral, very commonly we see too much nitrogen, phosphorus or potassium, then affects two or three other minerals uh, and negatively affects them so that they're not present in our food. So uh, basically the model is about determining the correct balance between those minerals, monitoring the soil, monitoring the leaf and producing this food with forgotten flavours, extended shelf life and much greater medicinal qualities and that's what we call it nutrition farming and that's what we're doing in 57 countries. Mm, and that's, I must admit that's something I've found very interesting when I've heard you talk about how minor elements are in fact important transporters for the major elements. So without some of these minor things, you're not getting that nutrition being transported. And, and it's huge. You know, say a little trace mineral, which no home gardener would even consider and probably doesn't even know the name of, but molybdenum, for example, we test soils in 57 countries and 80% of the soils we test are lacking in this tiny amount, this 0.5 of a part per million is all you need of this trace mineral molybdenum. But without it, there's two things that happen. Number one, you can't get free nitrogen from the atmosphere because the organisms that grab the gas and convert it to ammonium nitrogen uh, use an enzyme called nitrogenase, which is based on molybdenum. And if we don't get the free stuff, it, it means that we don't get the right form of nitrogen, which is the ammonium form, in the right ratio. It means we have much more nitrates in our food, which are carried in with water, dilutes everything else, and means much more requirement for chemical intervention, because high nitrates always means more pest and disease pressure. So that's what number one. Number two, when you do get nitrates in the plants, we don't want to eat nitrates. They're known carcinogens. We want to be eating protein. Protein drives plant immunity, animal immunity, and human immunity. And our food, we want to be eating protein, not nitrates. That involves another enzyme called the nitrate reductase enzyme, and that's made from molybdenum. So if you're one of the eight out of 10 people that don't have molybdenum, even in your home garden, mm. you're not eating high protein foods and nutrient dense foods just for the lack of one tiny trace of mineral. And that's, I recall, one of the things that's always stuck with me that you've said is that flavour in food is actually nutrition. So yes, when, when you're is. eating very flavourful fruit and vegetables, that flavour is there because of the fact that the food is nutritionally yes. dense. Yes, exactly. Nutrient density, flavour, shelf life and medicinal qualities are all one and the same. Your approach is very much holistic. It's not just purely a, a top-down approach. You take the bottom-up approach in many respects that it all comes from the soil. The health and the nutrition comes from the soil and without quality soil, you are never going to get quality crops out the other side. We've been having a talk about mulch earlier in the show. Now, from your perspective, where does mulch fit into this picture? If you look at the definition of the word science, which in Webster's dictionary is adherence to natural laws and principles, you know, the message there is that we need to learn from the perfect blueprint called nature. And if we look at nature, soil's never left bare. Something will pop up there. If you look at deciduous trees, the, the, the tree shuts down nitrogen because it wants a break. It drops, shuts down nitrogen, the leaves turn yellow and red. They drop on the ground. And the interesting thing when we look at some of the more recent soil scientists that the most powerful of all mulch, the most beneficial known mulch, 
are those leaves that fell under the tree. So the tree knew exactly what it was doing, mm. you know, and it covered, and then we blow them all away with our leaf blowers. <laughs> I mean, it's such a ludicrous scenario. I was in, the, I was consulting for the Royal Botanical Gardens in Singapore. There's mulch about, about six to eight inches thick everywhere, which is unusual because the Singaporeans, you can't even chew gum, they put you in jail. Mm. Um, but, and I asked the guy, and he runs the, the entire gardens, and he said, well, I've, I've actually got seven papers on the benefits of, of leaf mulch, and there is actually nothing that supports, more widely supports what's called the soil food web than, than, than the leaf that falls from the trees. Mm. So he brings in leaf from all the other super clean gardens and you know he's got iconic trees, he's got one tree, it's the last of its kind, they can't even tissue culture it. Um, and, you know, and, and, he, and people complain, why, why is this mess at this, at this garden? You know, I thought it was supposed to be an iconic garden. And every one of those complaints he addresses personally, he, he actually calls them up or he goes and sees them in their hotel room or Skypes them. Um, and, and shows them, well, this is what's underneath and this is how it works and why it works. And so it becomes yeah. a learning experience for each of those complainants. <laughs> which is, but, but the story of mulch is just, you know, you're feeding the soil, basically. You've got the soil life and a bare soil. You, you've got to have either, either a living mulch in the form of a ground cover or a cover crop, or you've got to have mulch. Mm. And you dig under the mulch and you'll see the visible parts, you'll see the earthworms, the more visible parts of the soil food with the fungi and so forth that are visible, but there's so much you can't see. Uh, and that mulch is feeding the whole shooting box. So it's hugely, hugely important. Yeah, and I think the important thing to remember too is that it's it's feeding at the same time as providing shelter yes. because it's it's providing that stable layer on the soil. It's protecting from, from physical harm. It's providing insulation and stability of temperature. And, and so it, yes. it's such a dual purpose product. I've been well quoted as saying that it's a single simplest sustainable step you can take. Yes, and I would, I would tend yeah. to agree. And on this farm, you know, we're here on my, um, one of my nutrition farms projects it's 120 acres here in the hills and um, we had an area where I'd excavated a large area for a shed so we had this big bank of high sodium clay that was 600 square meters to be exact that wouldn't grow anything I mean it was just it was literally we would have to cart it in topsoil and so forth and all we did was take free council mulch uh, in little three-ton loads and a, and a tipper and tip it and spread it probably eight inches thick nothing else we did no soil correctives just the mulch and six months later, that mulch is broken down and turned into this two or three inches of black topsoil. Yeah, now we start yeah. adding a little bit of lime and a few trace minerals. And now it's put that entire inhospitable area has become a completely edible food garden. So what are the simple reasons that you believe that home gardeners should be paying more attention to their soil health? And this is, this is sort of the whole gamut of home gardeners because for some people, their gardens only ever going to be ornamental. Yeah. For others, they do want to involve themselves in some, in some food gardening. So what are the, the real core reasons? I mean, they I mean, the real basic concept for a starting point is and understanding that the pH of the soil det determines the nutrient density. If you've got an acidic soil, there are seven or eight minerals that are going to be less uptaken and you're, going to, you're not going to be growing the medicinal food you'd hope to be growing. And so calcium becomes the first requirement. You, you check your pH. 6.4 is the pH at which everything is most available. Mm. So if you're, you know, I, I consider the home garden, if it's a food garden, to be the ultimate wellness tool. It's the single most important tool. And that simple thing is most people get wrong. You can check people bring in their test into our shop at Yandina. It's a free test. And the majority of home gardeners have got pHs of 5.6 or 5.2. They're miles off the mark, which means that simply calcium is called the trucker of all minerals. And calcium is what's usually lacking in a low pH soil. And without it, you really, really lose not just the pH link, but the whole uh, support of 
calcium actually stimulates the uptake of seven other minerals. So it's just a really important thing to do first off, yeah. get your pH right, get some lime, maybe some gypsum if it's needed, maybe even dolomite on the coastal sands. But normally on the heavier soils, you never need extra magnesium. Dolomite, of course, being calcium and magnesium. Mm -hmm. So lime or gypsum are the, are the two things. But in the sandy soil, sometimes you do need magnesium, in which case dolomite's more, more appropriate. But correcting that soil pH is just the starting point. And then, you know, making sure that you're using something with broad spectrum minerals, so fish and kelp and all of those things are filled with all of the minerals from the ocean. And they're going to be more likely to either be bioactive or to be feeding that microflora and fauna yes. in the soil because of the nature of their, their makeup, aren't yes. they? Yeah, so you're feeding the plant and the soil mm. and yeah. the soil organisms. Yeah. They love kelp. And of course, this is a greater importance in Australia because of the nature of our soils, our skeletal ancient soils that are not self-replenishing like the forest-based soils of Europe or the, the volcanic-based soils. We don't have that replenishment. So looking after them is, is much more important, isn't it's, it? It's so. huge. And, and, and then, you know, that's the mineral base that we're taking care of. Then, of course, we've got to look at the biological thing and compost becomes just an absolute essential in that context. And understanding, you know, that soil health and planetary health are so closely intertwined and I'm talking about humus in the soil. Mm. You know, there's only the same carbon molecules that have ever been here, and they're either in the soil, they're in living carbon-based life forms, or they can become the gaseous form. Mm. And two-thirds of what used to be in the soil is now in the atmosphere, and every time you change the way that you manage your garden or your farm, and you build rather than the current model of losing organic matter, you've actually stepped into the carbon cycle and sequestered what otherwise would have been in the atmosphere. And if you sit down with a calculator and say, okay, I've got 200 square metres or whatever you've got to garden in, and you do the right things and compost is part of the right things uh, and you build humus in that soil and then you sit down and say, well, how much did I contribute in the bigger scheme? It's actually the biggest thing you can do for climate change. There is nothing that comes close. You can turn off your lights, you can shop locally, you can put on solar panels. Uh, that contribution of carbon, if you sit down and do the sums, you'll see that if we all did it, uh, we actually changed, saved the day almost. Um, so it's a huge story. And, and the finding with compost is that compost, when you utilise it, is not just about the fact that you've you know, stabilised carbon in that compost, that you're adding some extra carbon to your soil. The findings with research, particularly in the US, have been uh, you put a tiny bit on and when you do the, the measurements of your increase in organic matter, it can be 10 times more than what you put on because the big, you know, this massive 5 billion organisms per teaspoon of compost, you've actually reintroduced a whole lot of things that were lacking. Even with chlorinated water, you're killing things in your home garden. And so you've reintroduced all those things with, with compost and basically reclaimed your soil's capacity to take some of the roots as they die off, to take some of the exudates. So plants pump sugars down into the soil. It's the reason you need to have plant cover because you're feeding all that soil life. Uh, that whole story, um, suddenly you can make more humus from what's available, you know, the crop residues and so forth. Uh, and so the soil begins to reclaim its capacity to build and store carbon. And that's huge from a climate change perspective. So the short version is if people started paying attention, then humus could almost save the world. Humus can literally save the world, yeah. <laughs> and of course, the French 4 in 1000 initiative where, you know, which was the major initiative at the most recent cl Paris Climate Change Conference was exactly that recognition. We pay, we incentivise farmers to work towards 0.4% organic matter increase and in 10 years we reverse climate change. Mm. We've taken our current 402 parts per million back below 300, which yeah. all we're doing at the moment is how can we keep it at 2 degrees? Well, 2 degrees isn't double 1 degree. We don't even know what 2 degrees is going to look like and I travel 30 countries a year, 1 degree looks pretty bad when you get out there mm. and we're going to see much more than double that at 2 degrees and that's all we're talking about, how can we keep it at that? Uh, there is actually a way to reverse it and home gardeners can be involved in that.
Yeah. Just get in there, put some compost, look after your soil and build organic so matter. Obviously, joining the dots on all of those facts, um, people would basically be completely and utterly crazy not to mulch their veggie gardens. Yes. <laughs> very, very, very much so in that context. Yeah, and so mulch becomes huge in that, in that context, as does uh, you know, making sure that you've got the mineral base and the pH and all those things that organisms like and that organisms will then be just continually holding carbon and storing carbon and building carbon in your soil and keeping it out of the atmosphere, essentially. Well, that is absolutely awesome information. Thank you, Graham. Now, our listeners can find out more about what you do by visiting the NutriTech Solutions webpage, yes. which is nutri-tech.com.au. And there you can find out all about Graham's philosophies of uh, how to manage your soil, plant health, but also, more importantly, where Graham conducts his workshops yes. around, literally around the entire world. And I can assure you they're fantastic to attend. So thank you very much, Graham. No problem. A pleasure. Gardening by the Moon with Milton Black. Hi, Milton. How are you? Well, hi there, Jenny. And uh, it's, isn't it beautiful weather, really? We've had the change. We've had the wind. We've had a tiny little bit of rain. But uh, there's more rain to come, I believe. Because looking at the planets at this stage, I feel that uh, in the next two months, we could be getting some nice rain, not only for the garden, but also for the farmers as oh, well. Oh, especially so. That'll be such a good thing. And all these fires as well. It's yeah. just terrible. Now, look, we're yes. just at the end of September here. And today being the 30th, of course, the moon enters Scorpio at 7.42pm. Now, this is a fantastic day for everybody to jump out into the garden, if you're not going to work, that is, Mm -hmm. and uh, plant all your above-ground crops, like your lettuce and your tomatoes, and what an absolutely superb day to put in lawns, too, for those people that want to put in lawns. Mm -hmm. And uh, the moon will continue on in Scorpio on Tuesday as well, so it's all above-ground plants at this stage. But the moon actually enters into Sagittarius at 9.44 on Wednesday. So you've got from now right up till at least uh, 6 o'clock in the evening when it starts getting dark to plant all above ground crops. Right. And, of course, in September, this is a great uh, great period for all your, your celery and uh, if you want to put cabbage and tomatoes. And Even some capsicum. cucumbers. Yeah, cucumbers, anything that grows above the ground. So that's the, the excellent period there. Now, when the moon's in Sagittarius... On Wednesday night, well, you don't go out there with your torch, so you can get about that. But on Thursday and Friday, Did the moon's still Did you say out there with your torch? That's <laughs> <laughs> if you want to plant, but you don't have to. But <laughs> with, the, with the moon and Sagittarius, now that's a non-fertile uh, sign. So consequently, the best thing to do on Thursday and Friday is just water your plants and just dig around and freshen them up a little bit, but no planting at all. The moon enters Capricorn on Saturday. Now, Saturday is an excellent day also for above-ground crops. So, and, and you plant your flowers too mm-hmm. and all your perennials and things like this. They can all go in and your trees can go in too for those that are putting in trees and shrubs. Now, on Sunday, go and have a long lunch. It's the first quarter of the moon and, of course, that's a, a no-no for planting. Mm-hmm. So you can just forget about planting on Sunday, have a day off. The moon enters Aquarius on Monday the 7th at um, 3.42 p.m. Not a good day for planting. Uh, Not a good day for planting Tuesday the 8th. 
just water on those days. Now, Wednesday the 9th of noon is just in the last degrees of Aquarius going into Pisces, which is a very fertile sign on Thursday. So you can transplant, transplanting of shrubs or trees, actually seedlings, seedlings and things yes. like that. Mm. Yep. Thursday and Friday, the moon is in Pisces. Now, two fabulous days, absolutely fabulous days for planting flowers or anything above the ground. Remember, it's all above ground this week, no below ground. Mm -hmm. And um, those are the two best days. And then the moon enters Aries at 2.45 p.m. on Saturday. That's a no-no day because it's uh, you can water on those days. As a matter of fact, you can have the weekend off. Hmm. But it's it's a day, basically, that doesn't have uh, any fertility in it at all. A, a little tip, a little tip for this week. Okay. Everyone loves tomatoes, mm -hmm. but what about those people in places that they can't have a garden? All right, so the best thing to do is go into Bunnings or any sort of little hardware store and buy yourself the the open hanging baskets with the cocoa farm inside it. Yeah, And what you do is you take it home and you fill it up with nice soil from your local retailer and then you put your little tomatoes inside that and better with the little minor tomatoes, hang it up, water it and they'll just fall down like a bunch of flowers and you can pick your tomatoes off them as they grow. That's so there we are. such a lovely just, idea. It's a bit just, like – plucking grapes off the vine while you're sitting on, at a table underneath them. Absolutely. Mm. And just, just a little thing too, you know, with the moon up there in space, what makes a spaceman's favourite chocolate? Uh, Do you know what? A Mars bar. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, see you next week. Thanks, Milton. See you soon. Bye-bye. Well, that was another great episode, Jen. What do you reckon? Certainly was, Adam. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, where can people find you? Well, the easiest way is to jump onto YouTube and just search Adam Woodhams and they'll find my channel there with all sorts of videos on garden things and DIY and landscape and other odds and ends there. Fantastic. And if you want more garden inspiration before the next episode... Follow us on Instagram. You can find us at BHGAUS. If you enjoyed this episode of Garden Better, then please take a moment to rate and review the show and don't forget to press that big old subscribe button. It's the best way to stay in touch with what we're doing and make sure you keep on top of every single episode. So we'll see you next time, Jen. You bet. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.